Yeah, good morning everyone. Welcome to Ecclesia. I'm one of the new elders here and um, we're just going through a series called uh, Experiencing... Oops, one minute. I need to start some. Sorry. So by way of introduction, this is the third part in a series, in a mini-series, Experiencing the Miracle of Christmas. And today I'm going to be talking about the miracle of the method. The miracle of the method. Now, we've all heard the expression, haven't we, that the Lord works in mysterious ways. Anyone know what book that verse comes from? Anyone? Know what Bible, Bible, what book of the Bible that comes from? Well, you may be surprised to know it's not actually a verse from the Bible. And many unbelievers have, have, have accused Christians of using this as a get-out clause. So when they ask you a question that you don't know, maybe it might be about suffering or something like that, the Christian will say, the Lord works in mysterious ways <laughs> because you don't know the answer. <laughs> but that's actually, from a, that's actually from a Christian hymn written in 1773. Um, Light Shining Out of Darkness by an English poet named William Cowper. But there is a verse in the Bible that conveys this very thought that sums up this very thought, and it's from Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. One of the greatest challenges that we all face as Christians is reaching that level of spiritual maturity where we're completely trusting in God. We all have moments when we're fully trusting in God, but likewise, we all have moments when doubts and concerns overtake us and we start to worry. The, re the reason for this is that God doesn't do things in the way we expect him to. He doesn't always work in the way that we think he should, in the way that we want him to. So it's my prayer today that today's message will encourage us as we take a look at God's methods in the miracle of Christmas. So let's pray and get into today's message. Father, we thank you for your miracle this time of the year, Lord, as we look to you, Lord, and we recognize who you are, Lord, as we come and we worship you, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that the message today will encourage us, Lord, that it will challenge us, Father God, that it would speak to us, Lord, that it would remind us what Christmas is all about. So, Lord, just commit today before you, open our hearts and our ears and our minds to what you have to say to us today. Let it be your words and not my words, Lord. Let me just be a vessel 
for what it is you have to say, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've got three points regarding God's method. The first point is God's methods transcend us. Transcend us. Two, God's methods include us. And three, God's methods sanctify us. So, let's start with the first point. God's method transcends us. Part of the miracle of Christmas is indeed the miracle of the method. Would you agree that God's methods are beyond our finite thinking? Paul writes in Romans 11, 33 to 36, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of Christ? Or who has been his counsellor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul begins his praise of God by focusing on the greatness of God and on how absolutely wonderful he is. His riches, wisdom and knowledge are great beyond measure. Isaiah 40, 28 tells us that Have you known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, of the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Psalm forty seven five Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond our measure. God's attributes. Let's think of some of God's methods for a moment. He speaks the world into existence. Jonah in the belly of a fish for three days and survives. A donkey that speaks to Balaam after he strikes it. In Joshua 6, we see the Israelites defeat the sinful city of Jericho by marching around the city. The priests blow their trumpets, the people shout, and the walls fall flat. Check it. These walls were 150 feet high, 32 feet thick. Why didn't God just cause an earthquake to destroy them? That would have been easier, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into a, a furnace heated seven times hotter than normal for refusing to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idols, and they came out without even their eyebrows being singed. God makes Judas an apostle, elects him as treasurer of the church, gives him all the funds to carry in a bag, and then allows his greed to be his downfall. If we were writing the script for redemption, for the redemption of mankind, we certainly would have written it differently to God. 
The truth that God became a man is mind-boggling to our finite thinking. The more we think about it, the more it boggles our minds. That God would become a man to save man. He who made man became man. You see, when I talk about the incarnation, I'm not talking about fiction, but a biblical truth so fantastic that no one but God Almighty could have come up with it. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wiggle and make baby noises. So let's shine the spotlight on this amazing story by looking at God's method. Let's go back to that verse in Isaiah. Let's have that verse as, the, as a foundation for our thinking as we look at the miracle of the method of the Christmas story. Remember, God speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as, high, sorry, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The story starts with Mary, who's betrothed to Joseph, who's pregnant, before they've had relations. Now put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. The woman that you're engaged to is pregnant. You know that you haven't had relations with her. She knows that she's been faithful to you. Can you imagine Mary trying to explain this to Joseph? I'm pregnant by the Holy Ghost. Really? You see, apart from God, this is biologically impossible. If Joseph had accused her of adultery, Mary could have been stoned on her father's, do on her father's doorstep. In that culture, after betrothal, unfaithfulness on the part of the woman was deemed adultery. When faced with the opportunity for justice, what does Joseph choose to do? He shows mercy. Matthew 1.19 And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. His plan to privately free Mary from their arranged marriage by, divorcing, by divorce reveals his desire to spare her public shame and suffering rather than claim his rights. Look at God's intervention. Matthew 1.20 But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You see, Joseph did not allow his devotion to turn into legalism. And God revealed his divine purpose to him. Joseph loved mercy rather than justice. 
He was a religious good man and therefore inclined to be merciful as God is merciful and to forgive as one that was forgiven. Question. Are you merciful or severe to those who you believe have wronged you? Or are you ready to spiritually stone them? In verse 20, we saw God intervene. Now we will see God reveal. Say Matthew 1, verse 21 now. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Let's continue with the method of this amazing story. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The city of David was considered small, insignificant, and the least among towns. The king of kings was not born in the holy city of Jerusalem, but in the little town of Bethlehem. Jesus' birth was a fulfillment of the Messianic prophecy in Micah 5.2, predicted over 600 years before his birth. For this prophecy to be fulfilled, God had to come up with a plan to get them from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem, which was 70 miles away. So what does God do? He puts it into the heart of an ungodly man, Caesar Augustus, who worshipped pagan Roman gods to censor a decree. Now we see that in Luke, 1, Luke 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So how do they get there? Remember, it was 70 miles away. Do they call for an ambulance? No, no ambulances. Maybe they jumped in an Uber car. No. Mary, who is nine months pregnant at the time, was transported on the back of a mule. You know one of them donkey-looking things? <laughs> Animals, sorry, I shouldn't say things. Only God could have done this to make sure that his word was fulfilled. Now, if God can do this to make sure that his word was fulfilled... What about the things in your life? Take a moment to think about how God has brought people and things into your life to mould you and shape you into the person that you are today. The father, the wife, the godly mother, the leader, the spiritually mature young person that you are. I've certainly seen God move in my life. When I think back to, well, about 13, 14 years now, lying in that hospital bed with a heart condition 
and a book being given to me called Turning Points. Now, street preacher. Street preacher? Are you kidding? Anyone that knows me knows that I'm not the biggest of conversationalists. So how did this come about? In the early years in Calvary Chapel, South London, a girl called Sister Salma, I don't know if anyone remembers Salma, yeah? She gave me this CD. She said, you know what? You need to listen to this. It was called Hell's Best Kept Secret. It's a powerful way of doing evangelism by targeting the person's conscience rather than their intellect. As I listened to it, it blew me away. I remember thinking, man, this is what I want to do. And for a moment, I had one of those sweetest feelings that I can never explain it. It's never happened since. It was just so sweet. I believe that was God's confirmation. I remember, the, who remembers Nottingham, when we used to do the Nottingham Carnival? God Corner, every year. I remember my first involvement, involvement in that outreach. And I'm looking around the church and I'm like, is there anyone around here that's going to be able to share the gospel? So I went on to an evangelism chat site and um, I put the call out there that we needed you know, some, some gospel sharers to, to come along and, and join with us. And a lady and a guy answered the call. I can't remember the lady's name. I think her name was Debbie or something. But the brother's name was Robbie, Robert Hughes. He came with a team of evangelists and we shared the gospel. It was wonderful. And I thought, well, that's the end of evangelism until next year. But God had different ideas. Sometime later, a dear brother called James Crook. James Crook? Richie? James Crook, wonderful brother, told me that he'd met a group of evangelists and they were going out preaching on Friday nights in Leicester Square. He invited me to come along. I walked, up in, I walked into Cafe Nero up Shaftesbury Avenue and who's sitting there? It's only Robbie Hughes and the team. I watched Robbie stand on a ladder and preach the gospel to the lost. I watched Pastor Ephraim street preach. That brother can preach, you know. And I wanted to preach like that. Through those brothers, God was doing a work in me. We moved to Brixton on Friday nights outside the KFC. One, two in the morning, me and Ashley just sharing the gospel, playing music, and just witnessing to, to people, to the drug. We had drug dealers around us. They were cussing us nearly every week. And, but we just, we had, a, we was on a mission. We was out to share the gospel. And nothing was going to get in the way of it. Just wonderful times. Now we're in Lewisham, sharing that same gospel. Just amazing. So God has moved powerfully in my life. Standing in this pulpit, being called into leadership, eldership, it's been a journey, you know, a real journey, but a good journey. I think as Christians, we don't spend enough time meditating on the amazing things that God has done in our lives and given us and giving him thanks for it. Can I, be, can I encourage you to... 
be open to God's leading in your lives. Let God take you out of your comfort zone every now and again. It's all part of his wonderful plan for your life. You see, I'm out of my comfort zone right here, right now. You don't know how much I've been stressing this week, how much I've been stressing this morning, and looking forward to it being over and getting home. And... But you know what? God wants to take me out of my comfort zone and stick me here. Listen, I was a guy at the back of the class in school that hid. When, they called me, when, we, when we had to read passages in, 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 in Bible study or prayer meeting, and we'd pick a verse each, I'd count the people... And that's right, my verse is number nine. Right, I need to read number nine about ten times. So when it gets to me, I look like I can read good. <laughs> and that's what I did. What am I saying? Don't miss out on all that God has for you. You know, as elders, we need you to come alongside us on this journey. We really do. Can you imagine standing before God and him saying to you, I had so much for you, but you kept saying no. Will you say yes? Remember, God is in total control of what's going on in your life right now. Let's move on. So Mary and Joseph get to Bethlehem. It's time for Mary to give birth. They need a place to stay, and there's no room at the inn. Question. I like these questions, because they challenge me too. Is there enough room for Jesus in your life? Or is it full of stuff? So, where do they end up? In a place where animals are kept. A stable. Jesus was born where animals were brought in for the night. Mary laid him in a manger. And we all see it on the movie, don't we? This lovely little manger with all cotton wool and all that stuff. And it looks all pretty and nice. And we think, oh, wonderful. But the word manger, manger, manger translated means feeding trough. It's a place where cattle were fed. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one from, through whom the universe was created, who could have been born in a palace wrapped in silk and linen, chose to be born in a place where animals were kept, a feeding trough. Think about it. How unsanitary this would have been. The germs, no doctor, no mask, no latex gloves. Latex, latex, latex. Joseph would have probably been the midwife. If you were writing the script, would you have written it like that? I certainly wouldn't have. It doesn't really have the makings of a blockbuster movie, does it? 
The Messiah was supposed to be a mighty warrior, a conqueror, and a deliverer who would usher in this era of great peace and tranquility for the people. But here he comes, born of a virgin, a baby. Remember, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. God's methods are different to our methods. We shouldn't be surprised. But if we're honest, we are. Point two. God's methods include us. Yes, they do. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Brethren, yeah? Brethren, not just men. Brethren, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Hello, that's me. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. That's all of us. But God chose what is foolish in the world, that's me, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Isn't it significant that the first witnesses to the birth of Jesus were shepherds? This great witness to the shepherds of Bethlehem. You see, we see God touching the lowest class of people on the social scale. Shepherds were among common laborers. They were the most common of all. They were renowned for not staying at their jobs. They, have a, they had a reputation for being untrustworthy, so much that they weren't allowed to testify in legal proceedings because it was assumed that they would lie. Does the fact that shepherds being the first to hear the good news highlight the need for sinners to hear the gospel? Do you see the pattern being revealed? Over and over and over again, God chooses plain, ordinary people from him, through whom he could do extraordinary work. There are countless stories in the scripture where ordinary people are called by God to do special things for him. When Goliath was taunting the Israelites, Everyone discounted David, a teenage shepherd boy. But God didn't. David defeated the giant and became the king of a nation. How about Nehemiah? He was living in Persia in complete obscurity, serving as a cupbearer, and God called him to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Mary who has one of the lead roles in the Christmas story. A teenage girl living in Nazareth when God called her to be the mother of the Messiah. Simon Peter would have lived and died in obscurity as an ordinary fisherman, except Jesus called him to establish the church. Again, 
God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He uses improbable men and women who have nothing of their own to offer except their faithfulness and willingness to say yes. See, I was leading a Bible study at work a while back. People started leaving the company who were part of the Bible study. The lady I started with went on maternity leave and others were made redundant. I thought my time at the company was drawing to a close. But you know what? God is still opening up doors for conversation. Recently, I had a, I've had conversations with a Buddhist girl and a Catholic brother. I even had a conversation with the Catholic brother at the Christmas party on Thursday. That's why I couldn't make it to the elders' meeting. I was at a party. <laughs> But you know what? I was able to present the gospel to him. This brother has been badgered by a, a priest that is battering him with works and all that stuff. The, el the, 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 the guy who looks after his concierge has been witnessing to him. The girl that I started the Bible study has been witnessing to him. And um, yeah, we can really see God pulling on his life. He's in a place where... He thinks that he's going to hell and he deserves it. Um, and we had a great discussion because ultimately we all deserve it, but for Christ. He couldn't accept that a man would give up his life for his sin and just give it to him freely. So what has God called you to? I tell you, it's something wonderful and extraordinary. He's calling right now. And all you have to do is to say, yes, Lord. As I said, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. These people are just like you and me. Just common, ordinary people. God wants to use you. Moses is gone. David has gone. Peter and Paul, gone. But you're here. We're here. Ordinary people. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Our abilities are not as important as our attitude and our availability. You see, God wants to empower you that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2.9 This is God's methods method for salvation people like you and me faithfully proclaiming the simple gospel message and the Holy Spirit takes that message and uses it to convict people of their sin and miraculously saves them 
What was Peter's responsibility? It was to present the miracle of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to leave the results up to God. Think about it for a moment. What does the gospel do? It transforms broken people living broken lives. Our purpose, therefore, individually and as a church, is to proclaim Jesus Christ. We think people won't listen. Tell them anyway. You must believe that he is the saviour and when you truly believe in him, the spirit of God comes into your life in a transforming way and makes you new. Amen. You're never the same again. Never ever. And you too will long to tell others of this beautiful message so that they may also be transformed. You know, I thank God that here at Collegia we are already doing that in some areas. You see, we all have a part to play. Will you play your part? You see, you may not have the lead role, but you still have a part to play in God's wonderful plan. Point three, God's methods sanctify us. There is another aspect to the miracle of the method that we need to understand. You see, visible miracles are reminders of the reality of greater invisible miracles. Which in fact are happening all the time as God regenerates hard human hearts. Hence, God is doing far more miracles than we realize. God is at work in our lives in ways that we do not and cannot fully comprehend. Our Lord, transforming human hearts through stunning acts done daily around the globe, is every bit as miraculous as, a, as Jesus turning the water into wine. The fact, the fact these redemptive acts make, divide, make the dividing of the Red Sea and the falling of the walls of Jericho and Lazarus raising from the dead power in comparison. Is that an overstatement? No. Because the greatest physical miracles cost our all-powerful God nothing. The greatest physical miracles cost our all-powerful God nothing. Check it. But the miracle of salvation, sanctification, and glorification cost the very life of God's Son. He takes drug addicts, sex addicts, pride addicts, gossip addicts, and every variety of addict and works transforming miracles in us. Amen. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
In Christ you have passed from death to life. John 5:24 Truly truly I say to you whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. You were once condemned. We were once condemned. John 3:18 Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the son of the in the name of the only Son of God. In Christ you are now <clears throat> you are now justified. Romans 5:1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, not works, faith. In Christ you are now saved. Ephesians 2:8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That word faith again. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. In Christ you are now under grace. Romans 6.14 For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Why did God choose such an unexpected cast of characters to proclaim his good news. You see, he wanted to make one thing absolutely clear. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus came for the foreigners. He came for the outcast, the despised, the rejected, the imperfect, the sick, the broken, the weak, the weary, the depressed, the needy and criminals. He came for sinners. God so loved the world that he sent his only son to seek and save the lost. He will not reject or despise anyone who turns to him, but freely offers his grace and forgiveness to everyone who believes and accepts it. Believe and accept it. Believe and accept it. God continues to choose the unexpected to shine his light to the world. Writing a story of healing, hope and redemption for all to see. It is Jesus and the good and this good news that makes the, that makes christmas merry and bright a television interviewer walking the streets of tokyo at christmas time much as in the uk christmas is a a big commercial shopping time in japan the interviewer stopped a young woman on the sidewalk and said what is the meaning of christmas she laughed and responded, I don't know. Isn't that the day that Jesus died? There was some truth in her answer. What do you mean, man? Around the, around the world, next Wednesday, many households will be gathering to celebrate Christmas. But Jesus won't be welcome. 
You know, in this last, in this last couple of weeks, I've heard some amer- um, amazing miracle stories that have blown me away. I remember the story Brother Andrew shared last week about the minister's son that everyone thought would either end up in jail or, or shot or dead. And uh, Andrew went to do a talk there and as he walked in and uh, this brother got up and he was in the pulpit doing the sermon. The girl that I started with the, the Bible study with, she tells me with tears in her eyes that her mum, t- sorry, with tears in her eyes that her mum's cancerous tumour that she had has disappeared. The gentleman from the food bank whose son who hasn't been in school for about 14 months is now in TLG. You see, if you're here today and you're going through some drama right now, Remember, we do not serve a dead God. God is able. I've seen it. For my faults are not your faults, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my faults higher than your faults. If you're here today and you have not put your trust in the one that Christmas is all about, come and speak to us. As we draw to a close, some final thoughts. May the Christmas gift remind us of God's greatest gift, his only son. May the Christmas candles remind us of him who is the light of the world. May the Christmas tree remind us of the one who died upon a tree. May the the Christmas season remind us in every way of Jesus Christ, our King. I'm going to call the worship team back up. And, uh, yeah, I'm just going to let them come up and sing a song, and then I'll close us in prayer. Actually, let me close us in prayer while they're coming up. Father, whether we're going through drama, whether we're going through difficulty, whether we're struggling, when we, whether we've not got into the movie of the plan for our lives, Lord, or the plan for this church, Lord. Lord, I just pray that today will be an encouragement for us to do that, for us to move forward as a ministry, for us to continue sowing them seeds, for your word to penetrate in our hearts, for us to to serve you with vigor and passion. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your message. Pray that you would continue your work in abundant, using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. May that long continue. Let us be open. Let us be challenged. Let us be ready when we hear your call. That we won't hear you say to us, 
I had so much stuff for you, but you was just too busy. You just kept saying no. Won't you say yes to the miracle that God has for your life? Thank you, Lord, for your presence, your grace, your mercy, your goodness, your kindness. Even though that we don't always know what you're up to, Lord, we know that you are faithful. Your word says that you will never, no, never, no, never, no, never leave us or forsake us. So, Lord, just committing today before you and thanking you in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.